And then Tim is going to come and bring us the next in our preaching series on limitless grace. Thank you. How's everyone doing? Is everyone still, still alive? It's, it's a bit chilly, isn't it? I, I think what's happened is when we first came in at 8 o'clock this morning, well, the first thing that happened was uh, the alarms were going off, so we couldn't go in. Uh, and then the second thing, we came in, and it was actually quite warm, and I think the heating goes off about half an hour after that. So they put the heating on uh, for us to come, but they don't keep it on uh, long enough. So we're going to have to uh, track them down and say, put the heating on longer. Who agrees? Okay, it wasn't, that wasn't, okay. I expected a bit more, yes! We agree with you, Tim. I've got the blessing of actually speaking to you, which warms me up because I move around. Uh, you, you're going to sit there in the cold, so uh, I'm sorry about that. But hopefully, I can warm you up with my words um, um, as well. Uh, that was a nice little sentiment. Thank you very much. Uh, I can tell it's going to be hard work today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy if people say amen, brother. You know, anything you want to say, uh, I'm happy with that. So, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If, if I was on, like, you know, in America on a gospel channel or something, you know, and you were the audience or whatever, your congregation, you'll be like, amen, brother. And you'll be standing up, you know. You know, but our British reservedness, you know, we sit down and say, that was a good one, wasn't it? You know, or, oh, we got that one wrong. You know, uh, but we can, you know, you can be yourself. That is the best thing about church. Be yourself. If you want to shout amen, yes. If you want to sit there and just say, that was a good one, be yourself. Let's get started, right? Uh, so I'm doing a, we're doing a series on limitless living. And this is all about breaking off in many ways of the past. It's all about realizing all the things we can tap into in God. It is about thinking about who we are and what we can do in God. It's about living big, influential lives and impacting, uh, impacting with the gospel. A limitless living, I've said this every week, is like a Mary Poppins bag. You know, it just keeps on giving. You don't understand how or why, but you can keep getting more stuff out of it. And I believe that's the same for God, is that in God, there's always more, but we don't understand how God does it. Even sometimes we don't understand why God does it, but there's always more. There's limitless. And this 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says this. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open space, wide open spacious life. We, don't, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. And I, for me personally, I love going for walks, love going to the beach, love going to the country, I love going to the local park because it makes my life feel bigger. It gives me bigger vision and that's what it does. And I think for many of us, going for walks does similar. We don't want to limit God in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke upon limitless faith, that faith has a language, faith has a language. Last week I spoke upon limitless wisdom, 
that all wisdom is from God and that we should ask God for wisdom. So we've got a situation at work, with family, with finances, with anything in life. We say, God, give us wisdom. We don't look to Google. We don't look to things maybe the world would look to for wisdom. We look to God. And this week, I'm speaking upon limitless grace. Imagine you are about to go on holiday. Come on a journey with me. Yes, that sounds good in this kind of weather, definitely. But you're about to go, you've packed your bags, you're at your door, you go through your front door, you close your door, you take a couple of steps, and then you go back just to check the door is closed. Uh, we all do it, don't we? Because we're going away for a week. And then you get in your car, and you drive. You drive all the way up uh, the M3, and you drop off at, uh, and then on the M25, and then you go to Heathrow Airport. You park your car. You go to check-in, and then you get your check-in boarding pass. You go through security, and you go through the, the annoyance of security and the long queues. And then you go and find your gate, and you get on your aeroplane. If only getting on an aeroplane was this simple and quick. You get on an aeroplane, and you take off. I don't know about you, but I don't like the takeoff. I don't like flying full stop in many ways, but especially the takeoff, I don't like uh, very much. But you take off, and you go up. You go up 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 30,000 feet in the sky. And instead of the noise to say you can unfasten your seatbelt, the, the pilot gets on the plane, uh, on the tannoy. Oh, please, on the plane, yeah. <laughs> the pilot gets on the plane. Oh, no. Uh, the pilot gets on the plane, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, on the plane again, yep, on the tannoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard your flight to Orlando. Disneyland, that's where we're going today, church. Uh, we're going to go a bit higher altitude. I hope you don't mind. And we go up 35,000 feet. We go up 40, 50, 60,000 feet up in the sky. And you look out to your window and you can see the whole earth. You can see the trees, the lights, the buildings. You can even somehow see people. You can even see what they're doing, the kindness, the love, the care. But you can also see the lies, the pain, the destruction, all the evil in the world. See, this is the perspective of our God. He sees all the joy but he sees all the pain. He sees all the love that's going on, but he sees all the evil. He sees all the peace, but he also sees all the suffering. He sees all the beauty, but he also sees all the destruction. See, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sees all that goes on, all the pain, the evil, the suffering and destruction, and it hurts him. And then your perspective on that aeroplane is zoomed in to a specific person. 
and somehow it's you. It's you. And he sees all your kindness, love, and care. But he also sees all your words, your thoughts and actions that lead to pain. John Piper, he says this. We are more sinful than we ever thought we are. But we are more loved than we've ever dreamed we could be. See, this statement it doesn't become unrealistic on either end. Not the sin end, because we are more sinful than we've ever thought we are, but also the grace end, that we are more loved than we've ever dreamed we could ever be. God's value you in a, as, is a free gift of grace. You do not deserve it, but he delights to give it. Imagine the day that you have ever felt the most loved. Imagine the time you've ever felt. See, God's love is so much bigger and deeper and greater than that. See, this is grace. The free, unconditional, and limitless love of God. The free, unconditional, limitless love of God. See, today, God sees all the pain and all the destruction that we cause in his world. And he has a free, unconditional, and limitless love for us. Grace does not depend on what we have done, but it depends on what God has done for us. See, I have many friends, well, hopefully I have many friends, but I have many friends that have asked the question, what do you do to get to heaven? Most of them will reply, be good. Or I have been a good person, so I will go to, to heaven. But this is actually contradicts the teachings of Jesus and the whole Bible. See, we meet with the grace of God. And our response should naturally say, I want a relationship with this person, with this God. I wonder if you ever heard someone say this. The Old Testament is all about law, and the New Testament is about grace. This is a, is a common misconception among Christians to think the old is about the law and the new is about grace. We like to put things in neat categories. And I, in one way, I understand why. I understand why because even John writes, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth comes through Jesus. Even Paul says, under the, uh, Paul says to the Romans, you are no longer under the law, but under grace. But to read these verses to mean that grace is exclusive to the New Testament concept really gives disservice to the whole Bible. Because actually, grace was there right from the beginning. It was there from the beginning. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this. He has saved us and called us to live a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. A.W. Tozer says this. The good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. 
See, this quote involves two elements. God's goodness, favor, or blessing. And its second one is bestowed on us who do not deserve it. Grace is often defined as God's unmerited favor. And in many ways, this is a simple way to define God. God's unmerited favor for you. And it's a beautiful way to capture the real essence of grace of God. It's his unmerited favor to you. It's his good pleasure. Grace was there right at the beginning of time. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, we all know the story. They came, they had the perfect garden, the perfect world, and they messed up. And they deserved, in many ways, death. And they deserved separation from God. Because God created everything perfect. If I could put it this way, imagine that you did the most beautiful, splendid painting ever done. And then someone comes along and decides to get a big foul tip, and put a mark in it. Would you feel annoyed? Would you feel upset? I've had this done similar thing to me. I've had, I have, I have my yearly journal, my yearly notebook, and I write in it, I draw pictures in it, and it's everything I'm thinking about. It's my heart. It's what's going on in my life. And Joel comes along and he just opens up the pages and he rips out a page. I'm like, you've ripped my life out, Joel. But, in a nice way, but we've done similar things. We've had similar things. But we do a really nice painting. Someone comes along and puts a black mark on it. In many ways, this is what happened with Adam and Eve. God made a, the best world he could ever make. It was perfect. Someone's come along and put a big black mark on it. But the grace of God was for Adam and Eve. God didn't respond how maybe I or you would respond in terms of getting angry and frustrated. God, in many ways, responded in grace. He firstly, he gave them animal skins to cover their nakedness. This is the first time we see an action of God's grace. The sacrifice of these animals to cover mankind is a picture of the ultimate sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the next one is that in Genesis 3 verses 15, God promises to send a seed of a woman to undo the curse and destroy Satan. See, the doctrine of justification of grace was an Old Testament doctrine long before Paul ever taught it in the New. The first time the word grace is ever mentioned in the Bible was with Noah. When, when God announced that he would destroy all life on earth because of man's wickedness, only one man was named different from the rest of evil people in the world. He was Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 to 10 says this, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented, uh, yeah, repented to the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. This is God, it grieved him. He, he saw the big black mark on the picture, 
And the Lord said to him, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for repent for me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was just a just man and a perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. See, the word here in the, gra- in the Hebrew for grace is kahan, and it means kindness, favor, pleasant, precious. See, it said that Noah found the kindness, the favor of God, it, the pleasant, it was the precious love of God. See, when we think we found something, it's like I found a stone, or I found, oh, I've, I've left something away, I've left my scarf, oh no, I've found my scarf now. But actually, all Noah did was just stand there, and he found the grace of God on his life. It was just like it came to him. Another, some more examples in the Old Testament of God's grace. This is another one, Israelites. It was God's grace that he forgave them and took them from Egypt towards the promised land. David, you know, David really messed up. You know, he slept with one of the soldier's wife, and she, beca- she was pregnant, and we all know what happened next. He decided to say it wasn't mine, and, he, um, he, yeah, and then he, he tried to kill the, he killed the person. And this is what David says. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my inequity. And you forgave the inequity of my sin. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiven, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. David is saying that I have met with the grace of God. Jonah. Jonah was called to preach to the people of Nineveh. As he goes to Nineveh, he says, I don't want to go. Because I know that there is a merciful and gracious God who will forgive those people. It's like us going to modern-day Iraq or one of these countries and saying, I don't want to go because if I go, I've got to tell them about the grace of God and they will be forgiven. I don't want them to be forgiven. I want them to die. Jonah was like, I don't want to go with this message because God will forgive them. God will show grace towards them. It was grace from the beginning. See, for us, we like to think of the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace, but we cannot put these into neat categories because actually the grace of God, as Timothy says uh, in, the, in, in the Bible, not me, is was there from the beginning. And it will be grace eternal. See, limitless grace. How do we see God's grace outworked in the Bible? And I want to take us through five different ways to see God's grace at work. And this is number one. Please go to common grace. Thank you. Number one is common grace. God's grace is the saving power of God. God's grace is, is, be, is given to us for a re- season of time. God's grace, uh, God gives us the grace to fulfill a specific task and grace lives within you. Common grace. See, as Christians, we believe all things are from God, that God sustains all things. And we believe that actually, if it wasn't for God and him sustaining everything, the whole world will be out of sync. So there's a, there's a, 
there's a, a theology in the Bible that actually there's a thing called common grace. That actually God, by his love and care, he gives everyone enough air in their lungs to breathe every day. It, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus, but you've got the grace of God. It's a common grace to say, actually, the love of God. He's saying, I'm going to sustain the whole world. Even those people that hate me, I'm going to sustain the, the world and their lives so they've got enough air in their lungs uh, that things work in the right way so they can exist. And that is common grace. That to allow everything to work in perfect harmony. All the gases, the atoms, the sea, the plants, the animals, the food we need to eat. He's like, I've given it all to you because I love humanity. Common grace. And then we see God's grace as a saving power of God. And this is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires of our thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving the wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace, expressed his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, grace, there's a description of grace as a saving power of God. It's nothing that you have done. It's never anything you're going to do. It is by just receiving, uh, as Noah said, I found grace. I have been something to be merited towards me, the favor of God, and I've done nothing, and I will never do anything to deserve it. And it is grace that today you and me have been saved, and that there's billions of people today and throughout history that have been saved and inherited eternal life because of nothing you have ever done. This means that you could just do nothing all your life and sit there and watch this morning on repeat and you can still meet with the grace of God. That is literally what it means. It's remarkable. We like to think uh, and our minds like to tell us, I've got to do more. I've got to act in a certain way. I've got to do this. I've got, there should be a time before I can be saved or, or be forgiven because I did really mess up. I'll leave it a couple of days. I'll do a couple of good acts. I'll open the door for someone who can't maybe need some help or something. You know, but actually, the grace of God literally means that it was nothing I or we could do, but it's freely given to us. And then it's God gives us grace for a season in time. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God gives us grace for today. 
He gives us grace for what's in front of us. Today is the 17th of November. And God has given you a supply of grace that you can navigate Sunday. Today. God hasn't given you some grace for Monday. He's given you grace for today. This is, this is actually really remarkable. I want to take us back to Exodus 16.4. It says, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day. Can you remember that story in the Bible they, that God said, actually, I've given you enough for today, another portion for today. It's in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, uh, give us today a portion uh, give us today the daily bread. So there is a grace for the day ahead. And some of us, we worry about tomorrow. And we're worrying about tomorrow because we don't have grace for tomorrow. We have grace for today. God's like, no, tomorrow morning, I'll give you grace for that day. But for today, you've got your daily bread. So there's a theme, there's a, there's a line in the Bible that actually speaks about there is grace for today. So when, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I say, thank you, God, for your mercy. I'll thank you that you've given me grace to handle everything today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because if I start worrying about tomorrow, I will worry because I haven't got the grace to do tomorrow yet. I've got the grace we, for today. And then it goes, God gives us grace to fill a specific task. God specializes in granting strength in our Zach era of weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, there's many stories in the Bible that shows God's grace for a specific task or activity. Let's think about Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was protected by the grace of God. Does this mean that Daniel could walk into any den of lions and he would never get hurt? No, it doesn't. Because Daniel could probably walk into another den and potentially he could have died. Because God's given him grace to be in that den for that specific time and he would protect them. And this, this is throughout the whole Bible too. That actually people are given grace for a specific task. You're given grace for a certain work you're called to do. You're not given grace for another piece of work. You're given grace and the ability to achieve something in that specific work. You're given grace for your family. He's not giving you grace for another family. He's given grace for your family. He's giving you grace to go through a particular situation. It doesn't therefore mean that you can go into any lion's den and you will never get eaten by lions, but he's given you grace for that. David, he was given grace to kill Goliath at that point. Therefore, it doesn't mean that actually if there was another Goliath, he was called to defeat that Goli another Goliath because someone else has been given grace to defeat that Goliath. Does that make sense? So we've been given grace for a specific task ahead of us. This is another theme. Last one is grace that lives within us. God's grace is a favor upon you. The word favor is rooted in favorite. 
I remember when I was at primary school, I liked to think that I was the favorite, uh, the teacher's favorite. Uh, she probably didn't think this way, but I like to think about it because I remember that I had the opportunity and the privilege of going to feed the fish. I was always chosen. I had the opportunity to be part of the school council, the house captain. Uh, and it was probably because she wanted to keep me occupied, not because I was her favorite. Uh, but we are all God's favorite. And you're thinking, how does everyone become God's favorite? Well, this is how it becomes. Because God made you unique. There is no one like you on planet Earth. He made you look unique. He put unique gifts in you, unique passions. He made you think in a unique way compared to no one else. So when he looks at you, you are his favorite because he's got no one like you. That is basically it. So we are all God's favorite. We know the favor of God because we are favorite in God's eyes. And it's not about, oh, yeah, but I've got a higher rank. No, you are God's favorite. That's how God views. That's how you're favorite in God's eyes. See, we grow up, whether it's through parents and school and work and friends, we think if we act right, we become the favorite. If we do the right thing, we become the favorite. The favorite. If we stay longer at work, we become the favorite. And that's what the world speaks to us. You do these things and you will get a leg up. But with God, you are already the favorite because of his grace. It's the unmerited favor, something you never deserve. It's unquestionable favor of God that you are uniquely loved by him and he cares for you. And I think this is quite hard for society to swallow in our day because they believe you be believe um, you deserve everything. So we deserve everything is my right. So I should get this. I should get this. This is why it makes it harder to swallow in our day. But actually, we don't deserve God's grace, but he freely gives it to us. And our tendency as Christians is to treat grace like an antibiotic. We feel sick. We take these antibiotics. And if you don't listen to your doctor, you don't finish your five-day course, and then they say you are very naughty. Uh, I've had it before, uh, given the doctor telling me off, saying you haven't been healed because you didn't finish your course. I said I was okay. And then they say, no, but you need to finish your course. But we treat it like an antibiotic. We say we need the grace of God. But actually, we need, and then we say we don't need the grace of God because I'm okay now. But we always need the grace of God. We always need the grace of God. The grace of God should be the starting point of our lives. Everything should flow out of the grace of God. I will stand here and know that actually that God loves me. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter where I go. That God still loves me. He saved us, 2 Timothy 1.9 again. He saved us. And corners to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purposes and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. The good pleasure of God inclined him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. See, we can easily 
define our lives is overwhelming. Has anyone ever been overwhelmed with life? Yeah, I have, and it feels sometimes like on a weekly basis, if I'm honest. I can be overwhelmed with life, things in life. And just to talking about this word overwhelmed, by the way, overwhelmed is an amazing word. You can be overwhelmed, you can be underwhelmed, but you can't be wound. You ever say wound? It's a weird word. It's, have you ever heard this before? You know, it's crazy anyway. You can be overwhelmed, underwhelmed, but you can't be wound. You know, there's no word like it. And maybe there is. But wow, you know, life can be overwhelming. We find ourselves overwhelmed by work. We can be overwhelmed by our finances. We can be overwhelmed by we've got too many commitments. We can be overwhelmed by our worries and our fears. But God wants us to be overwhelmed by his limitless, unmerited favor. He wants us to be overwhelmed by his free, unconditional love. He wants us to be overwhelmed by his grace. He does not want us to be overwhelmed by the things of this world. He wants us to be overwhelmed by this grace. And it's this grace that is the saving power of God that you have been saved. Something you never deserved. It is this grace that has helped you in a season of your life. It is this grace that is going to help you for that specific task. It is this grace that lives within you. It is this common grace that gives you air in your lungs. He wants you to be overwhelmed by his grace. We need to stop getting less overwhelmed. I'm talking to myself here. By the worries and fears of life. And stop getting overwhelmed by things that are going on in life and work and things like that. But we need to get overwhelmed by the grace of God. And I believe we change that perspective, the things of the world will grow strangely dim, as it's said in that uh, here famous hymn. I want to leave you with this, and it's Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion all he has made. This is another translation. You are kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it. Yes. And very patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river, overflowing its banks with kindness. God is a kind and tender-hearted to us who don't deserve it. He gives us grace to help us in our time of need. His love is like a flooding river that's overflowing its banks. You know, we've seen all the floods up north recently. And it just, it goes into people's homes. It's ruined lives. It's ruined businesses. But if, like, just somehow picture that as a positive when it comes to God's love. That it just, it ruins our life. For the good. The grace of God comes into us. And we're just sitting there and we're saying, I am saved not because of anything I've done. I'm saved not because of anything I'm going to do. I'm just saved because he loves me and he cares for me. It's a saving power. And the grace of God is going to help me uh, for today. Everything I need to do today, it is going to be the grace of God that takes me. It's going to be the love of God. You know, the word grace, it means to help you in the Old Testament, to help you in the time of need. Mercy means I love you. Grace is an action word. It's like I'm going to help you in your time of need. And it's the grace of God that's going to help us back to get through that specific task. It's the grace of God we're all breathing here today. 
And this is the grace of God that we see throughout the whole Bible. It's not just the New Testament. It was the grace of God on Adam and Eve, grace of God on Noah, Jonah, Hosea. You know, talk about Hosea for the grace of God. We could talk about that for years, well, I could anyway. You know, it's the grace of God. It comes, and it comes to a point with Jesus, and we say, yes, Jesus has died for us. And the challenge is to live in this grace, knowing that I can stand no matter any situation I go through, I am saved. No matter any situation I go, I can handle it because his grace, his love, his time of need will help me to carry on. I love it, as you can tell. You are kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it. God is kind to you and tender-hearted. He's so much better than a boyfriend or girlfriend. So much better than a child or a husband and wife or a brother or a sister. You know, you haven't experienced this than other from God, his grace. Even though you fail him, he still does it. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. Help us to know your grace in such a deep way. Like we've never known it before. For many of us in this room, we've heard of grace. We've heard many messages on grace. But I pray that we would know the different facets of your grace. In a fresh, revelational way. And I pray that we would know that you've given us grace for today. Grace to do that specific task. The help and need. To come.